0: We'll be reading Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the, on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for, she, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of, of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a great nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, "'What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation.'" Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: Well, to borrow from Dickens this morning, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. For Abraham and his sons, this chapter describes a momentous, world-changing occasion. Depending on which son of Abraham you're connected to or descended from, this event in human history had very different outcomes For one son, it was the best of times, and for the other son, in some sense, the worst of times. We're a little over two-thirds the way through our series, uh, through the book of Genesis, which we're calling Right From the Start, in which we examine some of the earliest things that happen in world history, and then in some way we trace those things through even to their significance and ongoing effects today. Today. So starting at the beginning, we've acknowledged that all that exists was created by God. We've seen the sanctity of human life as a foundation because we are made in God's image. We've we've seen that all the brokenness and all the problems in the world have come through the fall of Adam and Eve. We've seen God's judgment and God's mercy through the flood And and ever since the beginning, we've seen this narrowing, this narrowing of human history to tell the story of God's redemption, God's promise to Eve in Genesis 3.15 that through her seed, the serpent would eventually be crushed. We see that came through Seth and not through Cain. It came through Noah and not the rest of mankind. It came through Shem and not through Ham and Japheth. And as we'll see today, it comes through Isaac and not through Ishmael. But even as we follow this narrowing of God's plan of salvation, how He's going to save mankind, we see in Abraham this this widening of God's promise. You see, In Genesis 12, 3, this is what God said to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So for our our sermon to make sense, for this text to make sense this morning, we need to make sure we're reading this not just as the story of two sons, two sons of Abraham, like the immediate family of Abraham. We need to keep in mind God's plan of salvation, God's promise as fulfilled through this promised son. But even though we're gonna see not just these two sons, we're gonna see what comes of these promises, don't just think in allegorical spiritual terms either because the events of this chapter have real world geopolitical significance in human history. and in, in fact, some of the most newsworthy events on the news today, in some sense, can be traced back to Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael. It's amazing. Daniel mentioned a few weeks ago the headwaters of the Chattahoochee River in Georgia. And I, I love that example for, for several reasons. One, I've been to the very place where the spring comes out of the mountain in North Georgia, where the Chattahoochee River begins and flows all the way to its terminus. So I've been there at the very beginning on the Appalachian Trail. It was was neat to think, like, this is the beginning of something that goes way downstream. And friends, we live way downstream of the events that happened here in Genesis chapter 21. And the effects of these things continue today and have for the last 4,000 years. It's just amazing to think of the the lingering effects of this. So our points this morning, the promised son arrives, the other son is cast out, and the ongoing effects linger today. Let's pray. Lord, it's humbling. It's humbling to look back at things that you did thousands of years ago the things that you did as a faithful God thousands of years ago to bring about our salvation how your promises being kept made all the difference for us and how those promises being kept have impacted human events it's just a a huge scale. Lord, I pray that you would give us this morning faith to see the kind of promise-keeping God that you are, that we would learn to have faith like Abraham. But Lord, we don't just pray for ourselves this morning. We also pray for the, the other lingering effects of this heritage. We pray for particularly conflict in the Middle East, And we pray that, that true peace would come. But Lord, the peace that we really want is the peace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we pray for Jews and Muslims alike that they would hear and receive the good news of the promised son. And not just this promised son, Isaac, but the promised son, Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, we long for that peace. We long for that peace to which the world is headed. And when you return, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Father, we, we humble ourselves before you today as participants in your kingdom and your plan, as recipients of your promises, and as those awaiting future fulfillments of your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage begins with a fulfilled promise, a fulfilled promise. Now, we might be accustomed to thinking in biblical terms about fulfilled promises, but friends, we are way down the timeline in biblical and human history from where Abraham is. We have lots of biblical revelation. We have many examples of God promising something, a period of time going by, God fulfilling the promise, and us rejoicing in the fulfillment of the promise. Not so for Abraham. We may take this for granted, but Abraham didn't have a lot of human history especially written down where he could point to all the places where God made promises and all the places where God fulfilled those promises. There are examples, of course, God promised to Eve that a seed would come from her that would eventually crush the serpent's head. However, that promise had not been fulfilled yet. We have Perhaps these promises to Noah that his family would be delivered through the flood and they were. So far, so good. So far, so good that God's not gonna destroy the earth again with a flood, another promise. God told Abram that he would not destroy Sodom if he could find 10 righteous people there. He did not find 10 righteous people there and he destroyed the city and yet he still delivered Lot and his family. But God had made a promise to Abraham 25 years earlier. And until this very moment in our text, that promise had not been fulfilled. Let's trace the promise one more time. When Abram was 75, God calls him out of his own land and says, go to a land that I will show you. So Abram and his wife and his, some of his extended family depart from Haran and start going to the land of Canaan. And he gets there and God visits him in a vision to remind him of this promise. This promise that God is going to take him to this new land and make a nation from him. But even there, God, when God reminds him, he says, but Lord, I, I, how is this going to happen? I don't have a child yet. So then the Lord Reiterates the promise, expands it on your offspring shall your offspring shall be like the stars of the heavens. And Abraham, remember, believes God. It's a huge moment in Abraham's life. So it's been a while, ten years or so in the land of Canaan, still no child. Ten years of waiting, ten years of barrenness, believing. God's promise. Things go off the rails a little bit. Hagar comes into the picture. Hagar is given to Abram and Ishmael is conceived and born. However, we find out Ishmael is not this promised son. And then just amazingly, we just take this for granted, but between chapter 16 and 17, 13 years goes by. Just like That. And all of a sudden, Abram has a 13-year-old son. He's had 13 years to think, I think this might be the fulfillment of God's promise to give me a son and an heir and make me into a nation. 13 years. Nope. No, when God appears to Abram again when he's 99, God explains, he explains his covenant in more detail. He gives Abram a new name. He gives Abram the sign of circumcision. He gives clearer instructions about the covenant promise that it will be fulfilled miraculously miraculously through his wife, Sarah. And now it's been 24, 24 years of waiting. 24 years of promise made, but yet no fulfillment. Waiting can be complicated and hard. But what did his waiting look like? It's, it's worthwhile to see what did Abraham do in these 24 years of waiting? Well, he built altars and he called upon the name of the Lord. In Genesis 12, when Abram came into Canaan, there he built an altar to the Lord. When he moved, there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. When he journeyed back from Egypt... He journeyed back to where his tent was at the beginning and there he called upon the name of the Lord. When he separated from Lot at the Oaks of Mamre, he built an altar to the Lord. He remembered. he These altars are places of remembrance. What has God said? I need to remember those. And then after all of that waiting, come to chapter 21 and Isaac is born. The promised son now, I don't know if you noticed, but our text calls attention to something about Isaac's birth. Moses, as the, as the writer here, doesn't just let us think, okay, so the promised son is actually born. Moses doesn't just leave it there. He points out that this happened just as God said it would. Look in verse one again. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. It seems important to Moses and it should be important to us that this isn't just by chance Abraham and Sarah conceived and bore a child. No, this is the promised son. This is the one that came about because of God's Intervention in their life. Remember in Genesis 17, 21, God had predicted when Sarah would give birth. He said, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear about this time next year. Or Genesis 18:14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. The author's making a point. This isn't just random, it's not just chance, it is a promise fulfilled. Now, as we've gone through Genesis so far, we've seen several key moments in God's plan. We saw that with Noah in chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah, a turning point in the narrative of Noah. In the Tower of Babel, we saw a turning point, And the Lord came down to see the city. They were trying to reach God, could not do it. God came down. And this is such a turning point in the life of Abraham and Sarah. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The author is reminding us that God did just as he promised. God is also reminding us that this would have been impossible Without God. He brings up the point Abraham's 100 years old at this point. And there, I mean, parts of the, the passage here are fairly humorous, talking about their age. Abram's 100 years old. Why, why is that significant? Why did God wait 25 years to fulfill his promise to Abram? Well, one thing, friend, is God wanted to make it obvious and clear that this is a promise fulfilled. Richard Phillips says this, the birth of Isaac in fulfillment of God's promise is one of the great moments in Bible history. Here we see yet another proof that the Lord is true to his word. And this is one of the takeaways we need to have from this passage today is God is true to his word. God fulfills His promises. So, how does Abraham respond? Well, Abraham continues to walk in faith. So, how how did Abraham respond here? Well, verse 3 tells us Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now, how is that faithfulness on Abraham's part? Well, one, because the Lord had already given that name for this son, his name should be called Isaac. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah both laughed when they heard that they were going to have a child. In sarcasm. (laughs) Funny, Lord. Okay, we're going to call him Isaac. (laughs) So God was, so Abraham was faithful. He named the son what he was supposed to name him. In verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. As God had commanded. So remember, Abraham does not have the book of Genesis. Abraham is remembering and reminding himself, what has God said? What has God said that he will do? What has God told me to do? Okay, leave my home country and go to this other country. Got it. There's gonna be a child, name him Isaac. Got it. Circumcise your children on the eighth day. Got it. Now, this is the first example of a child being circumcised at eight days old. Remember, Abraham was 99 when he was circumcised. Ishmael was 13 when he was circumcised. But here we have the first eight-day circumcision. Isaac, the promised child. So what about this laughter we see in verse 6? Remember that Sarah laughed when she heard that she would become pregnant. And now her laughter changes. In God's mercy, her laughter goes from a laughter of unbelief and sarcasm to a laughter of joy. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The answer to Sarah's question is, no one would have said that. No one would have said that Sarah's gonna give birth to a son for Abram. This is a miracle from God. So God has brought great joy and laughter to Sarah. Abraham also has an opportunity to celebrate. Now, it's interesting that we don't see Abraham celebrating right at the moment of Isaac's birth as Sarah does Rather, in verse 8, we see this. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast in the day that Isaac was weaned. So we see Sarah celebrating Isaac's birth, but Abraham celebrating when Isaac was weaned. Why Why would Abraham wait? Well, it was customary in this culture for a child to be weaned between two and three years old, a little different from our culture and we have to remember that many children died in infancy, in infancy. So is Abraham's holding on to God's promise that a great nation is going to come from them, you've got to think he's, once the child is weaned and past that perilous time of infancy, his faith is even strengthened more. And he celebrates with all of his friends, celebrates God's faithfulness to him through Isaac. It was the best of times. But then our, our narrative takes a turn. It takes a turn. It might even feel cold and harsh or cruel. But I do hope that by the end of this morning that we will see, even in this difficult providence of God, God's faithfulness. See, God's faithfulness isn't just In the first seven verses with Isaac, God's faithfulness continues in the story. Things begin to go wrong at Abraham's feast for Isaac. Abraham's giving the feast, people are celebrating. And at some point during the celebration, Sarah looks out and she sees Ishmael with Isaac laughing. Look in verse eight again. The child grew, was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day, and he was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. What is it that Ishmael did wrong? Well, it's not obvious it's not definitive. We see the theme laughing going through here. But the range of meaning for laughing, and you could even translate this, he was Isaacing, right? He laughs is, is the word. Ishmael was laughing. A couple ways we could approach this. One is that this laughing... Um, This laughing that that started as sarcasm, ended up with joy, is now in the place of mocking, a mocking laughter. So remember Ishmael at this point is 13 or closer to 15 or 16 at this point, depending on how old Isaac is. So the ESV footnote points to mocking. There's some insight we can gain from Galatians 4, but just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, he who is born of the spirit, so also it is now. So this is Paul looking back on this event and saying that the son of Hagar was persecuting the son of Sarah. Now, Bible scholars are disagreeing over whether Ishmael was doing anything wrong here. Was he just play, being playful with Isaac? Was he going out of his position as the son of the slave woman, and assuming he was on equal footing with the son of Sarah, it's not entirely positive. So perhaps Ishmael was forgetting his station, if we could say it that way, and Sarah might have seen the potential for Ishmael trying to usurp Isaac's place. We don't know for certain. It is clear, I think, in the text, it's clear to me that Sarah is not being particularly kind to Hagar. Perhaps you caught that. One of the ways you might catch that is Sarah never uses the name Hagar at all. It's that slave woman or that slave woman, the Egyptian. And even Ishmael's name is nowhere in this passage. The son of the slave woman. Perhaps you even remember chapter 16 where Sarah was being so bad towards Hagar when she had conceived Ishmael that that Hagar fled into the wilderness to get away from Sarah. And then an angel visited her and told her to go back. So perhaps some of that animosity is still there, we don't know. But for whatever reason, Sarah recognized that something was wrong and commanded or really called on Abraham to cast out this family. So what was her demand? Her command was cast out the slave woman and her son. Very, very strong language. In fact, it's, Abraham softens it when he actually sends her away. Later in verse 14, he sends her away, but that's, that's not nearly as harsh as what Sarah's asking for. Cast out this slave woman. We can't help hearing Sarah's emphasis that her son will not be heir with my son, Isaac. So we, we can sense a wrong attitude perhaps in Sarah. And yet as we'll see, though her attitude may have been wrong, some of her reasoning was according to what God had planned. But let's see Abraham's response in verse 11. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. It was very displeasing. It was detestable to Abraham to do this to his son, Ishmael. And you notice that as Sarah is talking about Ishmael, she calls him the son of the slave woman. But Abraham, this is his son, his son. In fact, his only son, which he had had for 13 years until Isaac was born. Abraham had already reacted to God's word that he would have another son, the son of the promise, by saying, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham was appealing that Ishmael would be the promised son. But that was not God's plan. This was not God's plan for Ishmael. And so the Lord intervenes and the Lord speaks to Abraham in verse 12. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a great nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. A couple of things we need to notice. First, from God's perspective, this is not just a family dispute. This is not just the painful, jealous consequences of polygamy. Now, we're talking here about God's plan of salvation. How, what he's going to do to bring in the future his promised Messiah, the promised seed of Eve, passed down through Noah to Shem, to Abraham, to Isaac, and so on, eventually to Mary. And second, we should notice that though Ishmael is cast out from this inheritance, he's not cast away from God's blessings. God had already made promises about Ishmael and his own posterity. And Ishmael, as the son of Abraham, will receive blessings through him. God had already spoken promises in chapter 16, giving Ishmael a name and making prophecies concerning his descendants, which will not be able to be numbered because there'll be a multitude. And here in the Lord's response to Abraham, Abraham is reminded that a nation is going to come through Ishmael as well, even as a nation is going to come through Isaac. So though Abraham sends Ishmael out reluctantly, he's believing again that God will keep his promises. Abraham is releasing Hagar and Ishmael from from their servitude in exchange for any claim of inheritance from him. But he's also releasing them into God's provision. And that's what we see next, is that God provides for Hagar and Ishmael. Now, perhaps you like me have stumbled a little bit over the child language here. So this child is 16 years old at this point and is soon gonna be lost in the wilderness. But the Hebrew word for child here, in some translations, lad, can certainly include older teenagers. In Genesis 37, two, it refers to Joseph when he's a 17 year old and there are other examples as well so don't hear don't hear that that is um, that Hagar is somehow carrying Isaac or carrying Ishmael that's not what hap- what's happening here so he's a teenager and here she is and they're cast out they go into the wilderness and this is the only hint this is the only hint at Ishmael's name in this whole passage it's when God, when they're cast out into the wilderness And the woman calls out, and God responds that he hears. God hears. He hears his cries in the wilderness. And again, God sends an angel to meet Hagar in the wilderness, just as he had done before Ishmael was born. And he opens her eyes to see a well of water, and they are revived unless we read this as a as a way of God abandoning Ishmael that's simply not the case look in verse 20 and God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow and he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt this isn't what's not obvious Ishmael Is blessed through Abraham. He receives circumcision. The Lord is with him. He ends up having 12 princes as sons. So the end of Ishmael is not exactly the worst of times. Though being cast out from the inheritance with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac into the wilderness was certainly a difficult providence. God was faithful in his promise of Isaac's birth, and God was faithful in the things that he had promised regarding Ishmael. But let's consider some of the ongoing effects that linger today. There are two types of effects I think we should think about one, just the historical and geopolitical effects of this event, and then also some of the spiritual ramifications of this event. Now, when I was entering into this study, I expected to find one thing, and I found something different. This is always helpful and humbling when you enter into some study of the Bible. But you see, I expected when I looked at this text to find determined animosity between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. You see, what we see in the the Middle East today between the Arabs and the Israelis, I was expecting to find that right here. That's not exactly what we find. So what do we find in the text? Now, I've barely scratched the surface historically with a topic like this, but I'll just leave, leave you with a few questions and thoughts that I had. First, I asked, What's the relationship between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac in biblical times? Then I thought, what's the relationship between Ishmael and the Arab peoples? What's the relationship between Ishmael and Islam? Or to put it more bluntly and kind of in a raw form, what should I think of the descendants of Ishmael as connected to who we would consider the bad guys in the biblical story? So what do we know about the descendants of Ishmael? There's not a ton of references talking about the Ishmaelites. In fact, they're just not very prominent in the rest of the biblical story. There are mentions And in some of those mentions, it could just be hinting that being an Ishmaelite means kind of being a wanderer through the desert. Maybe not necessarily like tracing genealogy. But they they don't have a huge place left in biblical history. But this is not unexpected. After all, we've already seen it was through Seth and not Cain. right? It was through Noah and not the rest of mankind. It was through Shem and not through Ham and Japheth. And so, so the other family members seem to just kind of go off into the out-of-focus parts of the story. And that's true here with Ishmael, but it's not entirely true that there's no reference. So what what do we find? Well, in Genesis 25, in Genesis 25, we we see the descendants of Ishmael. We see the 12 sons of Ishmael listed. But we also get a few more details in the Genesis narrative. Number one, Esau, okay, Isaac, you know, Jacob, Esau and Jacob. So I'm sorry, Esau married a daughter of Ishmael in Genesis 28, 9. So that's kind of interesting. He goes and finds a wife from the daughter of Ishmael. One place we find him come up is in the caravan in Joseph's story which we haven't gotten to yet, but we will. So the caravan of Ishmaelites bought Joseph from his brothers and delivered Joseph and sold him in Egypt. Those were Ishmaelites. But in chapter 25, verse 9, we see Isaac and Ishmael together burying Abraham. Now, Isaac would have been about 75 years old by this point, and Ishmael maybe 88. But in this scene, there seems to be no animosity. It's not like these are warring brothers at this point. We don't find any immediate animosity between these two families. Once Hagar and Ishmael are separated out of Abraham's inheritance, God forms them into a very blessed and prosperous people and they're not obviously antagonistic towards one another, towards Isaac. The Ishmaelites are not listed as enemies of Israel in the conquest of Canaan. There is evidence that the descendants of Ishmael grew and prospered alongside the Israelites during biblical times wasn't exactly what I was expecting to find. Well, what about Islam and the history of the Arab peoples? And there's, there's, so much, there's so much to explore here, I was only able to scratch the surface. But there certainly are strong connections between the descendants of Ishmael and the Arab peoples in that region, in the Arab, Arabian Peninsula. You see, God blessed Ishmael, and he had twelve sons, they were princes. They they multiplied. They multiplied and multiplied, populated the Arabian Peninsula. And so many Arab peoples are descended from, at least in part, Ishmael. Now, Muhammad famously claimed in six hundreds that he was descended from Ishmael, who in Islam is seen as a prophet and the promised son given to Abraham. So here we have a distinction in worldviews between Islam and Judaism and Christianity where Islam claims Ishmael was the promised son and the Bible claims Isaac was the promised son. The Quran even indicates that chapter 22, the story of chapter 22 in Genesis of Abraham going to sacrifice his son was actually Ishmael and not Isaac. There is some, there's quite a bit of debate actually whether the Quran says that or, or if that's just how it's been interpreted. Obviously we believe the biblical account as true history, that it was Isaac. But we do see connections within Islam going all the way back to their claim that they are descended from Ishmael who they saw as a great prophet. So those connections have, over the centuries and millennia, impacted that region. Now, obviously, we can't go into all, of, all the aspects of Islam today, but they reject a lot of what the Bible says about who these prophets were and about the way of salvation. But it's interesting to think Ishmael was circumcised at 13 And many in Islam are circumcised, is my understanding, at least according to Joseph. Many Arabs were circumcised at age 13, not at eight days old, Josephus would say in the first century. So there are some connections to the Arab peoples and Ishmael. We can't trace them all, but it is interesting to see how God prospered that people through Abraham. Okay. Okay. So enough of that. So what, what other lessons can we learn from this story of Ishmael? Well, Paul in the New Testament is going to look back these thousands, hundreds and thousands of years and, and see some important truths for us. So let's look at those. We've mentioned them in our text about Abraham so far. Let's mention them again. Romans chapter 9 verse 7 says this. Not all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Or from Galatians chapter 4 Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And you might notice something you didn't expect here. Hagar is not the Arabians here. Hagar is the Jews, and Sarah is the Gentiles, and those who come to God by faith but what does scripture say? Verse 30 says, cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So these analogies don't fit exactly what you might expect because these analogies are pointing to spiritual realities of how we have access to God. Is it through human effort and keeping the law or is it by God's mercy and grace? Winham says this in the word biblical commentary for Paul, the all important point is that Isaac was born following God's promise. And in that respect, anticipates the Gentile believers in God's plan. While Ishmael born through human contrivance is a forerunner of the Jews who sought salvation through works of the law. So we find great help in these spiritual analogies, but but I want to just give us a warning because this, this really helped me think through this. Be careful not to read Paul's analogies, to read back into the Genesis account to create more animosity than was there. There's a blessing for Ishmael and his descendants. If we're not careful, we'll read back into the Genesis account the spiritual antagonism of Galatians. So even though Ishmael and Hagar are cast out, they still are blessed by God. They're both descended, Isaac and Ishmael, both descended from Abraham, both recipients of the blessings promised to Abraham. Hagar is met by an angel in the wilderness and given promises on two separate occasions. And Ishmael receives circumcision and God promises to make a multitude out of Ishmael's descendants Hagar even gives God a name, the God who sees. And when Abraham sends them away, God promises that he will care for them and make a nation from them. In other words, rather than reading the narrative of Ishmael in a completely negative light because he's a part of history of the salvation, he's not a part of the same history of salvation that went to Christ, we should at least acknowledge that they were blessed by God and lived alongside the Israelites in a way that they could receive the blessing of God. This doesn't mean we receive all the claims about Ishmael from other religions, but we should remember that the true promise comes through faith and not by descent or lineage. One writer says this, theologically, the Ishmaelite line is designed by God, as a reminder for Israel that the Abrahamic blessings have to be enjoyed by faith alone. Mere blood relationship is not enough. Ishmael is the firstborn of Abraham. Circumcision in the flesh is also not enough. Ishmael is circumcised. Only faith can make Isaac and his descendants, as well as Ishmael and his descendants, enjoy the blessings of Abraham, since in him, that is, in his seed, all the nations of the earth should be blessed. Well, what should we do with a message like this? Well, a couple of things I want to remind us of. One is I want to think back to Abraham waiting. 25 years of waiting. And Abraham waited well. Not perfectly, but he waited for God's fulfillment to his promises with faith. And there are things that we're waiting on. We haven't received all that's been promised. We are still waiting. And we can learn lessons from Abraham about how he waited. He built altars and remembered. But we have a significant advantage over Abraham here. We don't have to remember every little thing that God has said because we have everything that God has said to us. We can study it and meditate on it. And bring it to mind. And believe that they are true. We remember what God has said. Psalm 130 verse 5 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Friends, that is the message for us today. Also remember that the most important promise has already been fulfilled The birth birth of Isaac was a significant milestone in God's plan of salvation. And that promise was necessary, but the birth serves to point to a greater birth of another promise. The promise of our Messiah in another miraculous birth. Jesus Christ. And it's in that birth that we find life. And if Abraham gives a feast to celebrate the birth of his son, Isaac, much more should we celebrate the birth of our Messiah, the one who came so that we might not be left in our sins, but we redeemed. So we gather every week, not just once for a feast, but every week to celebrate our Messiah. His coming was so significant that we celebrate his coming every Sunday. And are you a child of Abraham? We've talked a lot about the descendants of Abraham But to be a child of Abraham, you must come by faith to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. But over this whole scene of our passage today, I want you to remember God is faithful. God is faithful. God is not only faithful to Isaac. God is even faithful to Ishmael. As a story on its own, commentator writes, this narrative, like many other parts of Genesis, illuminates the mixtures of faith and doubt, joy and jealousy, love and hatred that characterizes the human predicament. But above all, in it, God proves himself dependable and gracious. He is faithful in performing his promises in each to each person." Not only does he give Isaac to Abraham and Sarah as their own child, but he hears Hagar and he saves Ishmael, making him, for Abram's sake, into a great nation. Abraham believed God for many years as a way to magnify the power and purpose of God. Abraham believed God over many years in a way that magnifies the power, grace, and purposes of God. Let's pray that God would help us do the same. Lord, thank you that you have always and will always keep your promises. And Lord, we want to do as Abraham did. We want to believe you, over many years, in a way that magnifies your power and your grace and your purposes. We pray that you would give us the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to you alone be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand.